3: This podcast has content that may not be appropriate for all audiences. You'll hear about some difficult subjects like drug abuse, domestic violence, suicidal thoughts, and sexual assault. Listener discretion
4: is advised. Episode 8, The Hero
3: Ojos que no ven, corazón que no siente That's something Mamilicha used to say. It translates to, the heart doesn't feel what it doesn't see. That became my motto. It was my tactic to survive my family. So I made it through high school. I was living with my nana and my tata at their house. And somehow, I got good enough grades to get into college. And I got a scholarship. I was going to pursue my dream of studying theater. Here I was, on the brink of adulthood. I was about to live my own life. Finally, I was going to get away from my family. So I kept my distance to avoid seeing the path of destruction they were on and from having to feel the consequences. But after the incident with Adrian, I realized that wasn't going to work. I had to protect my siblings, at least. I wasn't really talking to my mom during this time. In fact, she was the person I was trying to keep everyone away from her addiction was consuming her and it was consuming us all. So in this episode, I want to hear her version of what happened. I know it was her rock bottom, the worst point in her addiction. And I think hearing it will help me better understand what happened. And I want her to hear me, to know what it was like for me during this time, to have to be the reliable one and how hard that was, to put my life on hold, to pick up after her. Once again, I'm Emmy, and this is Crumbs. It's a show about the things we settle for and the bits of ourselves that make us who we are. So, we talked in the last episode about Adrian's overdose as a turning point for me. He was just a baby, and we'll talk about my sisters too and how much they were hurt by your addiction. Yeah. But before that, I want to get into what was going on with you because I still wasn't talking to you.
5: Right. um, We weren't talking. And so we still had the little family business going, Kiko and I working for Mami Licha. So we're driving back and forth across the border, doing our little runs for Mami Licha. And we left the kids asleep at the motel alone Well, the girls, Adrian, was with my mom. He was still a baby. We get arrested at the border together.
3: What happened to the girls?
5: I think one of your aunts came to pick them up. Someone in the family came and got them.
3: Wow. That must have been really scary for them. How old were they?
5: Andrea was about 11 and Daniela was 7. They were young, but they weren't scared. They were living at Mami Licha's house or with us at the motel. And to them, this was a lot of fun. It was like one big fun vacation.
3: They were used to it, the chaos.
5: Yes, the insanity. And I believe this bullshit was normal.
3: So what happens after the arrest?
5: So Kiko and I get detained at the border. And because I'd been arrested so many times before, I'm already planning on what bail bondsman I'm going to call when I get to jail, right? I mean, this was my first drug charge. I'd never been to federal, so I I was just assuming I was going to go to Las Colinas. I was going to call a bail bondsman and get bailed out. It it doesn't work that way with the feds. But to my surprise, Kiko took the blame. And it was something that, rarely happens. They let me walk out of there. So the first thing I did was call my drug dealer and tell him, you know, this is what happened. I have no money, you know, but I need my drugs. You know, I'm good for it. You know, I'm going to work tomorrow again or whatever, you know. So he fronted me some drugs. Well, now because Kiko had just got arrested, they stopped work completely And I was like, oh, my God, well, what am I going to do? You know, um, I need money for my drugs and, and, you know, we're living in a hotel, whatever. So I talked to this drug dealer and I explained the situation to him. And so he said, Okay, well, how about you start working for me meanwhile? So I started selling drugs and now I'm making a lot of money again. And also I was so busy delivering drugs all day long that I would just grab a syringe full of heroin, and meth mixed together. And um, I started getting like this flesh-eating disease. I mean, I should have been dead, honestly, because I had gangrene. My leg was infested with gangrene, and doctors were already talking about amputating my leg.
3: So your addiction was literally consuming you?
5: Yes, it was. Like, so crazy. I shouldn't even be alive right now.
3: And where was Mami Licha during this?
5: Mami Licha was older by now, and she was pretty tired. Nothing was the way it was before she went to prison. Nothing was as she had expected. When she was working back in the 80s, everything was so easy. And then after 9-11, things got really hard. And now she's also taking care of yet another baby of mine. She was taking care of Adrian.
3: So the family business fell apart. And the family too, I guess.
5: Yeah, pretty much. But I still had to make money for my addiction. Just doing my own thing.
3: And then what happens?
5: And then I get detained at the border again. There was a drug charge... But I'm not really worried about it because, well, they already let me go once, right? And yet I'm still thinking of what bail bondsman I'm going to call when I get to county jail. But to my surprise, the feds picked me up this time. There's no more county jail, no more a few months for me.
3: So you're going to federal prison? Yes. And what were you thinking about when you realized you were going to federal prison? Were you scared?
5: This is going to sound crazy, but I was sort of excited. It's like stepping up, you know. Um, Now I'm going to a federal prison, you know. Um, No more county jail, no more state prison. I'm going to the big penitentiary. From what I've heard, it's pretty nice in there.
3: I don't know why I think that's funny. Okay, (laughs) sorry. Continue.
5: So I'm thinking I'm going to like this, um, like a club. A country club.
3: It's like, it's a status thing.
5: Right. I mean, not everybody goes to to federal prison, right? And from what I've heard, because that's where Mami Licha was, and she was pretty spoiled in there. It seems that she was living pretty good while she was in
3: there. And from what I remember, probably not in your era, but in Mami Licha's era, she could wear civilian clothes. Yes,
5: And it was co-ed when she was there. Oh, wow. (laughs) The men and women lived together. Imagine that.
3: But by the time you got to the same prison, things were different.
5: Very different. We had to wear uniforms. It was all women's prison. Um, There were more rules. It was a little stricter. My only fear was that now I have to go through the withdrawals That's the only thing that I was scared of. Because if you go to county jail and you tell them that you're going to be withdrawing from heroin, they'll just give you a blanket and tell you to go lay in a corner. There's no empathy for a heroin addict. And so I've heard stories of how good a federal prison takes care of their addicts and withdrawals. But I had to put on a show for them. So immediately, I had to convince them that I was HIV positive, I had hep C, and I had tuberculosis.
3: But none of these things were true?
5: No, no. I had a huge open wound on my leg that was like four centimeters deep. And so that was really helpful in convincing them that there was all these things wrong with me and I needed to go to a hospital right away they drove me to the hospital to get x-rays and blood work and everything and I remember they came back and they were really angry because all my tests came back negative but I got to stay in the detox center which was my goal so it worked so I was there for 18 days with two guards withdrawing, and those were (laughs) some really hard days. I mean, I had no contact with family. No one knew where I was. And I was hallucinating really bad. It was just a really ugly 18 days. After that, I went back to general population and Like I said, I was expecting to see a country club. It was really clean. The food was better, but it wasn't a country club.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
4: Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that?
3: This was your first time in federal prison. How different was it? I wasn't going to do
5: 11 months in, in county jail. I was looking at years now. I was sentenced to two years. What made it okay was the group of women that I was around because... We all were arrested around the same time. We all went to court around the same time. We all got sentenced around the same time. And we were all sent to the same prison together. So you sort of build a bond with these women. Some of them called me mom. Some of them were my aunts. You know, you replace your family with these women to fill those voids. It was like a dorm living, maybe 20 women on each floor. You get up for lunch or earlier you shower. Some women work out. There were these vents on the walls where a lot of women stood up on lockers and communicated with the guys from the next floor through the vents. So a lot of these women had relationships through the vans, boyfriends, guys that they'd never seen before.
3: So you're having a relationship with a voice? Yes. <laughs> this is like the original Love is Blind.
5: I mean, anything to kill time in there, right? You know, I witnessed a fight between two girls over a guy that they'd never seen.
3: I mean, he could be the most hideous thing ever uh, and they wouldn't have
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I was in such a bad place mentally and physically and honestly going to federal prison at that exact moment saved my life
3: would you say this is one of the worst points of your addiction this was my rock bottom it definitely was I mean, speaking from my own experience, our addictions takes us to the craziest places. Yeah, they do. And for you, that was all these crazy scenarios for years. And now here you are, federal prison. Like for that to be a blessing to you is just crazy. Yes, it really is. So you were gone for what, two years?
5: Yes, the very first time I went to federal prison, I was there for two years.
3: And again, we didn't really talk during this time, and I was trying to stay away because I was tired of having to watch you go through all of this.
5: Yeah, I emailed you a lot, but you never responded.
3: And then what happens?
5: So after my two years, I get out. patrons with Mami Licha. The girls are going back and forth between the hotels with Kiko and Mami Licha's house. Then I went right back to where I left off with Kiko. Using? Yeah, I went right back to using the motels, in and out of prison.
3: So federal prison saved your life, but it it didn't prevent you from going back to the drug life.
5: I want to say that it was the beginning of my transformation even though I didn't really know it at that time, my addiction was still very strong. And Kiko and I were using, we were just fucking up in and out of prison. But I do remember, now and then I would think to myself, is my life ever going to change? Or is this what I'm going to do until I die? I started noticing things like, I'd be walking down the street and I would see houses and through the window, I would see families sitting at the dinner table together. And I wanted that.
3: It's interesting to hear you say that because I never really thought you pictured or had these ideas of having a regular family, that the drug life was the only life you ever knew and wanted. So it's nice to hear that you wish for those things as well, but you just knew deep down inside you weren't ready to give up your drugs.
5: I mean, since I was a kid, I always, when I would play, I would play. It was a family setting with the dolls, you know? I didn't envision me using drugs. I wanted that family... And when I started noticing it in other people's lives, I missed it. I missed something that I'd never had, even as a child myself.
3: I know exactly what you mean because that's something that I always wanted and didn't get growing up.
5: But I was still in my addiction and I wasn't ready to make any changes yet.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. So Andrea's in middle school, and Daniela's still in elementary school.
5: Yeah, that's right.
3: And just as a refresher, they're technically my half-sisters. Your daughter's with Kiko. When Andrea first came, you know, I was just, I was thrilled. She had that gorgeous, dark, curly hair, and then Daniela with her big head. (laughs) She was just so cute. She looked like a cabbage patch when she was born. (laughs) She did. She did. And I'll never forget just holding them as babies, how cute they were since they were born. But they're not babies anymore. They're still so young in my head, like little kids. And so one day my grandma calls me and she tells me like everything that's happening. She gives me a rundown of everything that's happening. You know, you're a mess, Andrea's a mess. I saw what Andrea looked like and I was like, What the fuck? I was in the room
5: with that thing and you said, Andrea
3: looked like a Chola. Like she had. She
5: shaved off her eyebrows. No
3: eyebrows, (laughs) drawing them in. She had bleached her hair. She was like doing her makeup. She got like a tattoo on her knee. Like, and I'm just like, What the fuck? This is my sister. That you took care of as a baby? That I took care of as a baby. And I was like, What is going on? I knew that she had a warrant. And the only thing that occurred to me was to take her to juvenile hall. I didn't care what anybody was going to say. Like, I was just like, fuck this. I remember I had to go looking for her. I was looking for her everywhere. And I finally found her at one of her girlfriend's house. And I sat down and talked to her. And she was just like, she didn't care about anything. Like, she just was like, okay with living like that. And I think I told her I was taking her out to eat and uh, I tricked her and she got in the car or I bribed her. I don't even remember, but I drove to juvenile hall (laughs) and I just turned her in.
5: I remember that night. I was so happy that you took her because she was a handful, you know, (laughs) and I could barely take care of myself. Daniela, you know, you know how Daniela was Daniela was beating up all the kids in the neighborhood and building a name for herself already at such a young age you know but Andrea just starting to take drugs and all that it was like oh God I'm so glad that you showed up and took over you know but I remember you called me and you told me okay it's fine she's fine I was like oh God thank you so much I'm so glad you came yeah she'll be fine she's in juvenile hall Thank you. You what? She's where? I was so mad. Do you remember that? Yes. I was like, what the fuck do you, what did you do? (laughs) And you said something like what you should have done, you know, get her straight.
3: Because by this time, I had to put college on hold. I started working at the phone company. And for an 18-year-old Making that amount of money, it was like, oh, wow, like, this is awesome. Like, I bought a brand new car. Like, I was, like, (laughs) so attracted to the money part. And then this happened, right? Andrea's in juvenile hall. I put her there. And then her court was two weeks later. And I remember talking to her defense attorney. And she told me, this is what's going to happen. She's most likely going to get out but she needs to go to a stable home. And my grandma's like, no, let her go to foster care. <sighs> I'm like, no, there's no way. And I had a feeling that you were not going to show up to her court. To my surprise, she was given to me. They gave me all her papers and I showed up to my nana's house with a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> so remind me, Why didn't you show up to court?
5: I had a warrant for my arrest and I don't think I ever told you this but when I was pregnant with Adrian I had a ticket and I showed up to court for my ticket and they took me into custody not that it's a good excuse but I think I was afraid of showing up because I had this warrant and they're probably going to arrest me
3: So he didn't show up? And Mamilicha was like, I'm done. So it was just me.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
4: Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty.
3: And so, you know, I just got handed a 12 year old kid and I'm 18. I just graduated from high school. I don't know how to be a parent, but also I knew that I didn't want her to have anything to do with you because your influence was bleeding into her life. So I just thought, what would Ramilicha do? So yeah, I took Andrea home with me and I was living at my Nana's at that time. Andrea didn't have anything. She looked like a mess. She looked terrible. And we went to Macy's, the Robinson's May. Every piece of wardrobe that she needed, I got her like a whole new everything. And she's like, I don't like this clothes. I was like, I don't care. That's mm-hmm. what you're gonna wear. And she'd be through a fit, but she would wear it. She was like, I need makeup. All right, I'm picking your makeup out for you. You could wear mascara, but lip gloss only. and. You're letting your eyebrows grow. And she went through the awkward phase where they looked weird. I took her to get a haircut. Oh, she was so mad because I cut her hair really short. She like She looks so pretty. I cut her with a, like, gave her a bob cut. Yeah. And she was just, I just gave her a whole makeover. And I was like, look, Andrea, I'm going to introduce you to a different way of life that you're not used to. But you have to be open-minded. I enrolled her in school. It was middle school. Then Daniela came to live with me. Andrea and I are sharing a room at Manana's house. Like with Daniela, it was like, all right, we did it for a little bit, but it was like, I had to get my own place. And we did. I rented an apartment on Palomar. I don't know if you remember, but I went
5: over there to help you when you were barely moving in, like to clean out the cupboards and whatever. Do you remember? I think it's probably the only time I went over there.
3: I got the apartment, but also I'm going to therapy. I want to be like the hero and like save everyone. Yeah. And so the girls had their own room. I did the same thing with Daniela as far as the shopping. And I was working at the phone company. I drop them off at school, arrange for them to get picked up, come back home. Like we were living a normal life. And Andrea kind of fell in love with that, like, bougie lifestyle, right? It's, yeah. It was it was easy for her. She adapted well. The way Mamilicha did to me, I tried to do for my sister Andrea, and it stuck, and she's good. Daniela was a different story. She's always been, like, very defiant. Daniela came in like a Tasmanian devil from the moment she was born oh my God, like she was a really bad kid. And so she was a little more work. How did all of that make you feel?
5: Honestly, at the time, I was relieved. You have to remember, I'm used to Mami Licha always coming and taking over. I mean, I couldn't even take care of myself. And just to have you come and take the girls It was a relief for me. It was something I was used to. I was just so far gone.
3: What about now? Do you feel any differently?
5: I think now I'm grateful, but it's a different type. I've always considered myself so lucky because I never had any child protective services step in. I never completely lost my children. And for a long time in my addiction, I was so proud of that, but it wasn't because of anything I did. It was because I had Mami Licha and I had you. So I'm grateful today that, that you were there. I feel bad that it interrupted your life because you were so young, but you loved your siblings. You were willing to sacrifice you for them. And I'm really, really sorry that you had to do that. But I'm also very grateful that you were there for them.
3: Thank you, thanks for saying that. And you know, yes, it was a lot. It was difficult. And that's when I really, like my disease started taking off because I started partying a lot to let off some steam because I was so resentful at you because here I am doing your job and now like my dreams are on hold and I'm still not happy. So I'm drinking, I'm drugging, I'm like getting in trouble. And then at some point you got arrested again.
5: Yes, I went back to fiddle prison again.
3: So you missed a lot of what came next. Hearing about my mom at the lowest point in her addiction isn't easy. She went through hell, and she put us through hell in the process. So I tried to channel my Licha, my role model, when she stepped up to take care of her siblings. I tried to be a parent to my sisters when I was just a teenager myself. But it turns out I had more in common with my mom than I cared to admit. Next time on Crumbs.
5: So if you want, let's talk about it. Tell me about your addiction.
3: (sighs) Okay. Hey listeners, there's a lot of difficult subjects that we cover in this show. If you are someone you know needs help, you can reach the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline at 1-800-662-4357. They'll connect you with information and resources on treatment. There's also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Both are available 24-7. You don't have to be in crisis to reach out either. They're available for anyone who needs help. Crumbs is a Sonoro production in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Network and Trojan Horse. It's produced by Hannah Bottom and edited by Margaret Catcher, Rodrigo Crespo, and Alex Humero, with support from Elizabeth Schutzel. Original music by D. Peter Schmidt, and engineering by Carlos Magana and Manuel Parra. Studio recording by JTB Recording and Podcasting Studio. Executive produced by Connell Byrne and Giselle Bances for iHeart, Alex Fumero and Margaret Catcher for Trojan Horse. Camila Victoriano and Joshua Weinstein for Sonoro, and me, Emi Olea. Special thanks to Mariana Coronel Aguirre and, of course, my mom, Hilda Gamboa. Listen to Crumbs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.